Well, hello, friends, and welcome back to the Compelling Community Podcast. I am Matt McCullough here with Jonathan Worsley to talk to you guys about Chapter 8 in this book that has been such a gift to our congregation so far in in this new year. Uh, this is a chapter called Structural uh, Obstacles to biblical community, and to have any sort of sense of what that means, I think you have to know what we've covered so far to get to this point. Uh, We started in this book with a big-picture overview of what the church is for, that our job as a congregation, our calling that God has given us, is to bring glory to Him by the way that we do our life together, That, that God gets glory in a congregation's life when the power that draws people into it is is His power and not ours. It's not our ingenuity, not our creativity, not the unique thing we're doing that no one else has ever done, but the fact that He's at work among us in the way we love one another and in the way that we point one another towards towards Christ. They, uh, they, they begin the book with several chapters that show how a community that's deep and broad brings unique glory to God, and then pivot into what we've been doing in the last few chapters, which is several specific examples of things we can do to lean into that vision and rather than leaning away from it. The community we long for and pray for and work for is not one we'll ever have the power to build. It's not in our power. Hmm. But we do have the, 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 the calling to either lean into what God told us He uses or lean away from it. And the chapter that we've come to today tries to flag several ways we might unintentionally lean away from a community that brings glory and power to Him through relationships that are deep and and broad, and uh, you know because because of the way this chapter breaks down, we decided for for this particular conversation to just follow its structure. It just gives us several different examples of things that we could do that put roadblocks to the kind of community we're longing for and praying for. Uh, we want to understand what those roadblocks are and then how we can avoid them. So, Jonathan and I, I think are just going to go point by point through this chapter and and mention to you the things that caught our attention as as we worked through it. So, Jonathan, thank you for joining me. Let's start with church staff. I wonder if you were surprised to read that you might be the primary obstacle to building biblical community here amongst us. Was that a shock for you when you read it? Yeah, so I think think it's, in terms of what they said, I think it's so much about uh, church staff as people who get in the way of deep relationships in the sense that Churches could hire people who are bad relationally, although obviously they could do that. It's that churches could hire very kind of specialist staff positions mm-hmm. such that a church staff member ends up, I think they talk about doing the ministry rather than facilitating yeah. the ministry. And I think that's key. And and that just causes loads of potential roadblocks uh, in my mind. It, it fails to train the congregation to be the ministers and to see themselves as that. And it normally, I think, leads to less ministry ultimately being yeah. done, and it doesn't help the church uh, to grow as a whole. So if we just take a really kind of silly example, you just mentioned me at the start, let's imagine that loads and loads of upper-class British people move into Nashville. Great. And our church feels compelled to tell those upper-class British people the gospel. Great. And so you and the elders sit down and you think, what can, you, what can we do? And you say, well, I know this kind of posh British guy, Jonathan, let's get him again, fine. But when I get here, you have a choice. You could say, Jonathan, every day I want you to spend time reaching out to upper class British people. Here's a chunk of the budget. 
uh, go and buy some nice tea and cake. And if you see conversions, <laughs> we'll give you an opportunity to do, say, an evening service once a month for people who have converted who are who are Brits. Uh, would that be okay? Well, in a sense, yeah, it would. It would be. It would be okay. There would be a sense in which that was noble thing to do. But what if you said instead, Jonathan, could you occasionally do some evangelistic training and a seminar on British culture for people in the church who have British friends and and neighbours? Well, what would the result of that be? Well, I would have more time to spend with other people, and hopefully would have trained loads of people in the gospel and how to engage with British people. And as a result, I think that more people than I could get to as an individual would be hopefully told the gospel. Mm -hmm. And if British people were converted, then um, hopefully those people would see that the next step was to join the church with people who, who perhaps had varying degrees of income and a church that ultimately was international. And so they would be grown as well. And I know it sounds kind of silly to think about you know, a ministry uh, particularly to upper-class British people. But actually, I think, when we think about what lots of churches do, they think of hiring really specialist yep. staff, particularly when we think of students yep. or maybe uh, a ministry to, to, to poor people or sometimes even just a different nationality. And I, I think if we get specialist staff in to do that ministry, then I think that actually is not helpful to the kind of church that you and I would really like to build. Yeah, yeah, it reminds me of an example they use in the chapter of a friend that one of the authors had who was hired at one church to do college ministry, and that meant pretty much the scenario you just laid out. They had a lot of time that were available for meeting with college students and planning Bible studies and events that were that they offered then to college students, and then were hired at a different church where their job was actually to facilitate ministry to students. So that job was about training other members of the church to to connect with students, to take on one-to-one -one Bible studies with students, maybe still doing some event planning to give them a, a context for being with each other. That can be really helpful, but but, but they were pushing ministry out to others. Um, that just creates—well, it serves depth and breadth, what we're yep. hoping for in a church, because exactly. it's going to mean connecting people who aren't in college with those who are. That's breadth of relationship. And it's going to mean taking people who— Otherwise, might not know they have something to offer, and asking them to to, to give it—that's depth. Yep. To not just outsource it to the pastors, but to do it themselves. One of the things that struck me here was uh, staff jobs as um, as as boiling down the ministry to manageable amounts for the congregation, or cutting it down into bite-sized chunks. Our job as a staff is to use our skill and our time to see something that needs to be done and then to shave off a piece that we can give to someone else to do. Yeah. I, I thought that was a really helpful way to put it. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Anything else on church staff that you want to highlight before we move on to the next possible obstacle to us? Uh, I don't know. I think, I think kind of that's what I got on church staff. Let's talk about the church calendar then. That was another one that, uh, that definitely resonated with me. If you populate your calendar with a ton of events that you're asking people to come to and mm -hmm. to maybe serve at, we can end up uh, not leaving enough time to build the kind of spiritually intentional relationships we talked about in our chapter last week. Yep. What do you want to What do you want to say there? What are you noticing? Well, I thought the chapter, well, the whole chapter, was good, and I think this section was good, and I had lots of sympathy with it. I think it depends when you're talking about the church calendar. I think it depends on the thing 
that 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 is on the calendar itself. So actually, maybe the authors were a little bit harsh here, potentially because they presume that some events were not as perhaps relationally and discipleship focused mm-hmm. as they might actually be. Uh, and I'm also conscious that there are some people who are perhaps of a more introverted nature that actually sometimes need those programs and those routines and those structures to be that trellis for a discipleship vine. So I want to tread carefully here, but I have lots of sympathy for the authors if what they're talking about is a kind of church calendar that I grew up with really, which was essentially just a load of community club activities where people's lives were just filled with say, preparing food for, for the elderly people at some event or preparing crafts for the toddlers at Sunday school or preparing games for the youth group. And and far more time was actually spent doing those things that would gather people than actually the discipleship of those people. Right. And and, and that's what I think that they are touching on here. And that's what yeah. I would have um, a, a problem with. And, and it goes back to this idea of the focus is deep, spiritual relationships yes. with other people and if you're just doing loads of programs and activities that never actually get to that that central issue then actually you're preventing people from being able to do that because you're yeah. packing their calendars such that they never actually get around to the thing that is the very right center of what we're about well and we're at risk of deception there too going back to the chapter we talked about last week sometimes we can mistake spiritual fruit and spiritual health uh for activity, or, or mistake activity, rather, for spiritual fruit and yeah. spiritual health. Just because we're busy, and just because what we're busy doing happens at church, we must be a healthy spiritual person. That's not true. Like, our calling is to people. So we want to be careful to assess what activities we're putting on the calendar and only put the ones on there that are really going to help feed into relationships. It's not activity is is bad and, and loose, structured relationships are better. It's Activities that serve relationships are good. Let's focus on those. Yeah, and it comes back to that book, um, Trials and Vine, like I just mentioned uh, um, a minute ago. You want activities that that help with the trellis. But the trellis is kind of worthless. It's all about the vine. That's where you want to see. You want to see fruit. But sometimes you need some trellis. But the way in which you grow the vine is not to just spend all your time just building loads and loads of trellis. Uh, That's counterproductive. Yeah, yeah. So let's uh, let's shift gears now and move to the next one. Church music. Uh, this is uh, this was this was one that I was surprised to find. I think amongst the structural obstacles to biblical community, I didn't I wasn't looking for this one in that list. Um, but I think I can see why they put it here. I think maybe I'll just start out on this one and say, to me, what I'm taking from that section is we want to make sure do everything we can to make sure that our music is as accessible as it can be to as wide a range of people as it can be. You can't do that perfectly. Yep. And, and, and by having music at all, you're going to be more aligned with one person's type of music than another person's, and there's no escaping that. But, but there are choices you can make to try to bend towards different kinds of people at different times. Yep. And, and that there's, there's something wonderfully Christ-like in doing that. Yeah, and I think another thing that they touched on a little bit, but perhaps didn't get into as much, was, uh, maybe this is just this me, but I think if you want to build deep relationships with people, then you have to sing together about things that are deep. Mm-hmm. And they, they talk about that a little bit. Yep. Um, but I think deep lyrics that affect people in a, in a, in a deep way actually yep. 
build that that cohesion between one another when when we sing yeah. and sadly i think that there are a lot of um songs out there that are perhaps not lyrically that deep that have that ability to kind of unite people together in the same way that you know when we sing on jordan's stormy banks or john newton's i ask the lord that i might grow you've got that kind of those highs and lows that really draw the congregation together yeah i mean to, to take an example from the book that it's not just musical styles that affect whether or not there is breadth and depth amongst us in our church it's 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 the content and specifically they point to emotional breadth in the songs that we're singing yeah. meaning we want songs that that touch it all we want songs that that give us uh, ways to talk about what's hard in our lives or or that are honest about the sorrow that some of our friends are going to be feeling when they come in on a Sunday morning if if the only songs we ever sing are really triumphant yeah um, they're really happy and upbeat then they're going to be they're going to be people sitting in the pews who just can't really enter in that day and so we want a little bit of everything on a balanced diet in our music to make sure that our relationships are touching everything about where we we are and what we go through in life yeah um, let's talk about um, church services. That's the next obstacle that they mention. And by church services, I think they mean the the main gathering and any other gatherings you might do as an anchor for your week, things that are happening every single week. Uh, what do we want to watch out for there? What do we want to avoid? Yeah, I was thinking about this, and um, I actually recalled the, the, the church that I kind of really kind of grew in my faith at um, when I was an undergraduate student um, at the University of Birmingham in England. And I remember going to this church and just thinking it was absolutely wonderful. And I thought it was absolutely wonderful for the teaching. First time anyone really preached the Bible to me expositionally, and I grew in my faith a ton. And I grew in um, that faith because I was being taught. That was, that was so helpful. But the other piece, which I don't think I really appreciated at the time, and the real way in which I think I, I grew in, in the way that this book speaks about was the fact that not only did we have a morning service where it was very similar to our service, but we also had this evening service where we'd sing a couple of songs and then we'd have effectively um, like Sunday school, uh, core seminars kind of style. And after that time in the evening service, we'd just go around to another family's house as students and it was just wonderful. I used to mm. go around to Richard and Von Eiley's house. They used to do a kind of supper for us. And we'd talk about the sermon. And you'd go around to other families who had got young kids. And that was so helpful for me. Mm. So, yeah, I was growing in knowledge of the Bible and, and, and other disciplines through that morning service, understanding how to pray. But actually grounding that in the life of the local church happened in the evening. And sadly, what ended up happening is that the student ministry grew at this church. And then someone decided, I know what we should do. We should have an evening service for the students. And we should have the kind of same morning service for the older people and the families. And what you ended up doing, essentially, is you just kind of divided the congregation. And obviously, there was things that were helpful about that. It was particular focus on students which helped you with particular issues you were going through as a student and that was really helpful but you never got to meet unless mm. they came to the evening service as well those those families and those older people and i think i was spiritually impoverished well obviously mm. i wasn't an undergraduate anymore but other students who came through 
we're then spiritually Im- Im- impoverished because of that. So I think you've got to be really careful when you're thinking about multiple services or cutting services along demographic lines yeah. that actually you're not helping people spiritually. Yeah. You may be drawing people in potentially, but that's not going to mature them long term. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and sort of in that vein, the services that you do have, besides the fact that you want them to be reaching everyone rather than than specifically tailored to one type of person, you I think you want to 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 plan so that before and or after you've got plenty of time for those everyone to be gathering for all yeah. the, the the wide range of people to be interacting with each other on the spot. It it's something they mentioned and encouraged at the beginning of this section that struck me as a, a precious part of our church's life that we've been missing a lot during the COVID-19 pandemic, where we've had to, 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 to come in carefully and be seated in our appropriate spots and then be dismissed row by row and go straight to our cars. It's been killing us because we're missing one of the main things that this gathering is for, yeah. not just to hear, but then to process with each other what we've heard and try to drive it into what we're dealing with that week. And I bring it up here at the very end of this conversation to remind you guys, as you're listening, that we no longer have to go straight back to our cars. Thanks be to God, the numbers are not what they were. And as of this past Sunday, we were able to stick around for a long time after the service outdoors, right outside on in East Park, and just talk to each other. I bet there were people standing around talking for 45 minutes after yeah. the end of our services. And uh, that's a beautiful way to... Uh, to far from put an obstacle in front of our community to actually grease the rail so that we are we are headed straight into the depth and breadth that we're praying for in our friendships with one another. So I want to end this conversation by appealing to all of you to plan to stick around if you can. If it's safe for you to do so and you have the ability to, uh, please do stick around after our service and talk to somebody that you haven't met yet. Until then, we'll be praying ahead that the Lord will bless all of us when we gather in His name. Hope to see you there. <laughs>